0: welcome you all to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis. I'm the lead pastor here. Jacob Stevenson, our associate pastor, is not here today, and I think that's because him and Laura are finally going to have this baby. So that is awesome. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for the health of mom and daughter, and we are so excited for them. I'm more excited. I don't know. Amelia is going to be pretty beautiful. But I think over time, what I'm super excited about is for Jacob to realize there's this whole life he's never even dreamed of in being a dad. And it's about to be a rude awakening. So uh, you can pray for him, too, if you want. I certainly will be. But, well, hey, I know we have a lot of first-time people here this morning. I just want to say welcome. We are super glad that you are here with us this morning. We're excited to worship with you. And we are going to be diving into God's Word today. We are starting a new series called Dot War. And a lot of us, we have been affected by war our whole lives. Chances are, you probably know somebody that knows somebody that served in World War II, whether that's a family member up the line of your family tree. Um, Chances are, you experienced the Cold War, unless you're one of our youngsters in here. Chances are, we have people in this room that either served or know people that served in the Vietnam War. Chances are highly likely that we have people in this room. I know that we do that have served in in the Iraq war and then, of course, in the war on terror. And so we live in a world that has been at war for most of our lives. War is something that we are used to. And for some of us, it has been up close and personal. It has been something that many of you have gone overseas to fight on behalf of your country. And on behalf of your loved ones and so for me and the rest of our church i want to say thank you to you if that is you for the rest of us maybe it wasn't so up close and personal maybe it was someone else who wouldn't fight and wouldn't fight maybe we stayed here and we prayed for that person we missed that person but we were certainly affected by it as well but regardless of where we find ourselves In these wars that take place, whether you're overseas or whether you're still stateside, all of these wars have been someone else's wars. They have been someone else's wars made by someone else's decisions. But there is a war that we were born into, that a lot of us may not have ever even realized we were born into, that surrounds us every day. And that is the war for the hearts and the minds and the souls of people all around us the hearts, the minds, the souls of everyone that's alive at this moment, the hearts, the minds, and the souls of everyone that has ever lived. You see, there is a physical war, and that is taking place all around us, most of us our entire lives, but there is a spiritual war that takes place in a realm and a dimension, in a spiritual place that we cannot see. Very few have seen that God has chosen to show. So we were born into a world at war. Ephesians six twelve through 13 says, For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Again, not physical, but spiritual, in the heavenly realms that we cannot even perceive. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy, In the time of evil, so that after the battle, you will be standing firm. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And it's not something that we can perceive. It is something that is going on whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. But whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, it will certainly affect us. And so, if you're in war, a lot of times it's really good to identify who you are at war against. I remember 9-11 when the planes flew into our towers. And I remember being in sixth grade at school and wondering who in the world just flew those airplanes into our towers. And I remember all the sixth graders around me just making up crazy nonsense stories. And then there was a kid whose mom worked for the government, who came to pick her son up, and she had information that our teachers didn't have, she had information that the news didn't have, and she kind of just spilled the beans to all of us little sixth graders, kind of let us on the inside. But when the enemy is identified, you realize you are at war. And so for us, as believers, we need to identify who our enemy is. And for us, we have a common opposition. And this common opposition is, as the Bible refers to him, the enemy. You might know him as the devil. You might know him as Satan. That means the accuser. He is accusing, accusing, accusing us, and his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, as it says in John 10.10. So, how does he oppose us? If we're in a battle, if we're in a war, we have a common enemy. What is his main line of attack against us? What is his go to weapon time after time after time? He lies. He lies over and over and over. He's so good at lying that he can just take a truth and just twist it, twist it just enough to motivate you to go against the will. Of God to go completely off path or to get you started down the path, just slightly one, two degrees off. And five miles down the road, you realize you're not even close to where God has intended you to be. He is the father of lies. John 8 44 says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what do we see when we see Satan, when we see the accuser, as he is being referred to here? We see that he is the father of lies. That means, as a father, you are a creator. That's what makes you a father. You create something. You create life for us. So Satan, being the father of lies, what is the only thing that Satan has ever created? the lie. And he is attacking God's people, and he is influencing those that are not God's people with these lies. And so what I want you to understand as a church, as someone that says, I am God's. I have been saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. I have been forgiven. And when we take that serious, when we start living life in the Holy Spirit, when he is operated within us, when he is activated, and we start living life according to God's will, What happens is we stick our head out of the bunker and we are put directly in the crosshairs of the enemy so we're in a war we have an enemy and he has a strategy and that strategy is to lie to us over and over and over over the next four weeks so this week and the next three after this we're going to be in a new series called thought war and a lot of this series is based off of a book called winning the war for your mind by a pastor named Craig Groeschel so If you are a reader, I would highly encourage you to read that book. If you're like me and you're not a reader and you're a listener, it's a great audio book too. And if you want to listen to it on twice the speed, you'll feel real productive, all right? (laughs) Real good. So a lot of this content that we will be covering, of course, all of it comes from God's Word. And that's where it will be based in. But a lot of the content that has inspired this comes from that. And so I don't want to be out of place and not give credit to where credit is due. So, we are going to be looking at the war that is being waged all around us. We're going to be looking at our place within this war. And what we're going to be looking at is the strategies of the enemy, but also the strategies that we can take on as believers to fight back, to better defend ourselves, but also to go on the offensive when it comes to the war for our minds. So, we are in a thought war. The enemy is lying. He is lying to our minds. He is trying to change to influence our thoughts. We need to know that we're in a battle so that we can defend ourselves, but we also need to know not just how we can protect ourselves but how we can go on the offensive. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Think about our lives. Think about the season that we are in right now. You turn on Fox News, what are you going to get? A bunch of fear from the right side. Turn on CNN, what are you going to get? A bunch of fear from the left side. Turn on YouTube, turn on whatever it is that you get your information, and it will be fear-driven, fear-driven, fear-driven. Whether that is the state of our politics, whether that is the state of the pandemic, whether that is the state of our nation and how divided we are, everything is fear-driven. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So where's the, where's the war starting for our mind? It's starting in fear. Attack, 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 attack on your thoughts. Be fearful, be fearful, be fearful. Be worried, no peace, only concern, only anxiety. Let's send these people into depression. That's the strategy of the enemy. But We are not given a spirit of fear, but of power to stand against fear of love, to be loved by God. A lot of times we talk about loving God. I think it takes a lot of power, and it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of restoration in our lives to be loved by God. So many times we think we have to earn this. But just to sit and to be loved by God, that is the spirit in which we have been given. And then we love God back, and we love others. And then finally, in a sound mind just do a show of hands. Anybody feel like they've had a sound mind since we went into quarantine way back in late 2019? No. Everything's been crazy. Everything has been up in the air. Nothing has been normal. There is no new normal. So we must fight against fear that is instilled in us and the lies of the enemy. We must fight for a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. First point this morning is there is a battle for your thoughts that you must fight. There is a battle for your thoughts that you must fight. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five. So good. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, or not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So in verse 3, we see that we live in the physical, but we wage war in the spiritual. If there's anything I know about this church and our bacon and bullets event that we did late last year, is that if it came to a spiritual war, I'm safe, okay? There are enough AR-15s in this group of people... We ain't going nowhere, all right? <laughs> the devil comes knocking at our door for a physical fight? I'm feeling pretty confident in you guys, okay? When it comes to a spiritual war, where are we sitting? Could we say the same? Do we know how to handle God's word the same way we know how to handle our ammunition, our guns? Do we have the same knowledge base of how to fight physically that we do spiritually and spiritually that we do physically? I think it's really easy in a fear-based mindset and a fear-based lifestyle to get caught up in I need to prepare, 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 prepare for this. But all of that is physical. And that is all for physical things that are coming against us. And I think a lot of times we just forget about the spiritual realm completely. How am I preparing myself in God's word? How am I getting ready for what is coming for me? And how am I getting ready for what God is sending me to do? We live in the physical, but we wage war in the spiritual. And then... Verse 4, our weapons are not physical, but they are spiritual. Now there is this one variety of scenes in a lot of different movies since the 1980s on that I have absolutely fallen in love with. Honestly, I'm not sure it's a good movie unless it has this variation of scenes in it, and that is called the training montage. Maybe you have seen them. It's usually when the peep squeak little kid at the beginning of summer starts training To get the girl or at least her attention to fight the bully and so he starts doing push-ups he starts doing jumping jacks and maybe he'll start doing pull-ups maybe he'll sign up for some karate classes but by the end of summer the kid that looks like he just went into sixth grade ends up looking like tim tebow somehow (laughs) and he's just ready to fight everybody he's ready to take down the bully he's ready to get the girl that sequence of scenes in a movie is called a training montage. And so I did a little research this week on the top 10 training montages in cinema history. And I also edited it quite a bit. So if I disagreed with the movie, I just took it out completely. So (laughs) my top 10 is more like a top six or seven. In 10th place, best training montage in in every movie ever, Batman Begins. When Bruce Wayne becomes Batman and he's training with Ra's al Ghul, come on, you guys, that's, that's good. Uh, number nine, you might have heard of this dude if um, you were born before 85, all right? His name is Jean-Claude Van Damme, okay? <laughs> this dude can do splits on moving objects. There's nothing he cannot kick. I don't care how high it is over his head. That man knows his skill set. Bloodsport was that movie, all right? Maybe you remember it. It's on Netflix if you haven't. Also, kids, ask your parents. Not sure it's appropriate. Number seven. We're skipping number eight. Number seven, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Woo, come on. Luke Skywalker getting that lightsaber going with old creepy Yoda out in the (laughs) swampy woods of a planet I forgot the name of. Woo! That training montage set up the salvation of the galaxy. Luke Skywalker, Yoda, awesome. Uh, a shocker for me, number five top training montage of all time, a little movie named Mulan. All right. Mr. I'll make a man out of you. That's what I'm talking about right there, okay? She saved the whole country. It worked. I it was magic. She had a pet dragon, too. I don't know how much that helped. Uh, Number four, I definitely saw this coming. I didn't see it as low as four. Also, just a confession to you, I've never seen these movies, but I've seen every training montage in all 17 of them. I'm talking about the Rocky series. (laughs) All right, Sylvester Stallone going after it, and I know you can take my man card because I haven't seen him. Uh, Still working on that, okay? We're all a work in progress here. Number two, because number three was really disagreeable. Number two, The Incredibles. I didn't even remember there was a training montage in this movie, and then I thought about Mr. Incredible, the greatest dad bod of all, just getting after it. And this man started putting in work, lifting trains and all kinds of stuff, and I was, I could do this workout. I'm going to start doing that. Mr. Incredible, awesome. And then number one, I'm talking about my man, Ralph Macchio, as he takes down the evil demonic forces of Cobra Kai. He waxes on, He waxes off, Mr. Miyagi takes him under his wing, he disciples him in the ways of Miyagi-do, and by the end of summer, Cobra Kai falls. As we see, due to the recent Netflix series, Cobra Kai really does never die, but we didn't know that then. (laughs) And he would turn out to be a great car salesman at the later stages of his life, just in case you didn't know that. So, in every single one of these amazing sequences, there is something that has taken place. There is someone who does not know their fighting skill set, that does not know the weapons that they have available to them, that gets serious about the fight that is at hand, whether it is Cobra Kai or whether it is the Sith Empire, Darth Vader coming after you, no matter what it is, they get serious about their weapon, they get serious about their craft, they get serious about their skill set, and they start to train slowly, slowly, slowly. They fall back down, they get back up over and over and over. And by the end of the summer, or by the end of that training session, they know how to fight. They know the battle that is at hand. They know what is at stake. They know what they are fighting for. They know what is coming against them. But they know how to use the weapons that they have available to them in their arsenal so as believers what are the weapons that we have available to us in our arsenal that's nothing you get a black belt in it's not a sweet lightsaber sword that you can cut through i think pretty much anything all right but what we have is so much more powerful than anything physical that we could ever imagine because what we have changes the reality of things in the spiritual realm that we cannot see. We have a God that we join alongside in this battle, and as we go after his will, and as we fight in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm, and in the spirit, he begins to do things that we cannot even explain. So our weapons, they are weapons of divine power, and those weapons are prayer, our communication to God. Could you imagine running off into battle without having any orders whatsoever. you get lost. You wouldn't know the mission. You wouldn't know the next steps. We have to touch base with the person that is in lead, and that is God. We have to touch base. We have to know what his plans are. We have to know what he is doing. We have to let him know where we are, what we, want to, what we need done in our lives. So when it comes to prayer, how are we training? Are we at the beginning of summer? Or are we at the end of summer? ready to take down the enemy or still still fearful of what's ahead of us when it comes to our weapons of divine power we have god's word and this is so crucial i think this is probably something that we have left completely neglected for a lot of us this is a sword this is a weapon that we have in our house that is in the corner and it is collecting dust but what would happen if it came time for battle And literally, the sword of the Spirit that we have available to us, that we just let collect dust, it was time to go fight. We pick up this old dusty, heavy thing that we don't even know how to hold right, we don't even know how to yield, we don't even know how to use, and we try to go fight up against something that clearly knows our weaknesses and what needs to happen to come against us. For a lot of us, that's our time in God's Word. That's our time in the Bible. It's something that we neglect every single day, And it's something that is so absolutely critical to us being believers in the first place. If you think about it, there wouldn't be a single person in this room that would be a Christian if it was not for God's Word. If it was not for God's Word revealing the good news of the gospel and the work that Jesus has done on our behalf and for the sin of the world on the cross and His victory over sin, His victory over death and over the enemy. All of that is found within God's Word. So when it comes to God's Word, how are we training? Is it once a year? Is it Sundays only? If you're getting ready for a big bodybuilding show and you only worked out one day a week, do you think you'd have any chance at that bodybuilding competition? No way, not at all. If it was a big karate competition and you only learned how to do one kind of kick, would you think that would get you the all-city champ? No, absolutely not. We've got to take God's Word serious. We have to dive into it. This is the sword of the Spirit that we wield. We have to know how to fight. The third weapon that we have is faith. So how are we training when it comes to faith? Are we pressing on, knowing that God has our back? Are we cowarding? Are we listening to the lies of the enemy and letting them shape what is true in our lives? Or do we know what is true when it comes to God? And are we pressing on and pressing into that? And then we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God living inside of us. Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he's, he raises again, victorious. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven, and before he goes, he says, Behold, I'm sending somebody greater. You will do greater things than I when he comes into you. And so at Pentecost, we see that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. And ever since, at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. And so if you would say that you belong to Jesus and you've accepted his redemptive work on the cross and he is your savior and he is your Lord and you are following him, then that means that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. That means the power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. Why don't we act like it? Why don't we fight like it? Why don't we approach God's word like it? Like the same thing in the Holy Spirit, the same person of the Holy Trinity that inspired the writing of God's Word, could illuminate it in our lives so that it will make sense to us. We're not taking our training seriously. These are our weapons. Prayer, God's Word, the Bible, faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do these weapons do? These weapons, in verse 4, have the ability to destroy strongholds. It means they go To work against the stronghold of the lies of the enemy. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, one of the greatest movies that doesn't have a training montage, unfortunately, I just think the whole movie might be a training montage. You have the Battle of Helm's Deep, where the people of Rohan are all taken into Helm's Deep, and you have these orakai that come along with Saruman. Some of you guys are like, where did I end up this morning? (laughs) What are we talking about right now? This is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard on stage. (laughs) That's all right, I'm a nerd. It'll be okay. The stronghold keeps the people safe. And as you get further and further and further into this fortress, into this castle, it gets safer and safer and safer because there are more fortifications. There are more defenses. But Helm's Deep has one point where it is vulnerable. And so it's kind of flip-flop for us. Instead of the good guys being in Helm's Deep, when it comes to the enemy, he is funneling his lies into Helm's Deep, into this stronghold that is within our minds. And so, what do these divine weapons do? These weapons of prayer, God's word, of faith, of power, of the Holy Spirit—they destroy strongholds. Would you think if anything was to ever happen at the White House, what would happen? They would put it in lockdown. And the president would go to the safest area possible. That is the place in our minds where the enemy has been sending lies over and over and over and over. And these weapons of prayer, of God's word, of faith, and of power, go in and they completely obliterate it. All right, if you've seen Olympus Has Fallen, that's Gerard Butler, okay? This is post-300 Gerard Butler, but he still knows how to fight. In verse 5, they destroy arguments against God. And these arguments against God are wrong thinking. They are harmful behaviors. They are cultural mindsets that we are inundated with all day long. They are lies that are believed as truth. And so when we look at the lies of the enemy in our lives, what he has been funneling into our minds, into our thoughts, day after day after day, year after year after year, those strongholds are pretty built up by this point. Those strongholds need to be destroyed. And those weapons can do just that. And so what are the lies that we are believing about ourselves that go against what God says about us? What are the lies we are believing about God that go against who he says about himself? And then verse 5. Continued. It says, take every thought captive. This is powerful right here. Take every thought captive. I mean, when you think something, you don't just let it ride like, okay, that's me saying that. That must be true. I want to give you a lot of freedom when I say this, is that not everything that you think, not everything that pops into your head is you. We are heavily influenced in Invisible places, in spiritual realms. A lot of you have seen them in the old cartoons. You got an angel on one shoulder, you got a demon on the other. And it may not be as cute as that, but we certainly have forces that are trying to influence us that we cannot see. So, not everything that enters your head, men, not everything that enters your head, women, is you. So, if it comes off as vile, if it comes off as disgusting, if it comes off as not true, Remember, that is not you that is thinking that. That is your thoughts being influenced by an outside spiritual force. So what are the lies that we believe? And we're also influenced by a spiritual force that is good, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God. And that influences us in the right way. And so when a thought comes into our head, what do we do? We don't just let it pass. All clear, go ahead, I'm going to accept this as truth, we stop. We process it. We check that thought to God's truth. If it's true, we let it roll. How do we know if it's true? We put it to the test against these weapons. And if it survives that test, it will move on. And if it is a lie, it will be destroyed. Take every thought captive and submit it to Jesus so that it will be obedient to Him. Submit it for the feet of the Lord. Jesus, this is what I'm thinking right now. I don't necessarily know if this is true, but I give it to you. If this isn't true, obliterate it. Make it obedient to you and destroy it. If this is slightly true, make it obedient to you and set it on the right course in my mind. If we were under spiritual attack right now, would we stand a chance? I don't know. I think maybe. I think for a lot of us, it's time to get at the beginning of that training montage it's time to take these weapons serious, it's time to train harder and harder and push harder and harder into Jesus, realizing it's not about our effort, but it's about the work in which he did on the cross and the Holy Spirit inside of us, growing us more and more into his character. So the way this series is going to work out is we're going to identify the war that we are in, and now we are going to look at strategies and how we are to fight. So how are we going to fight this war? How are we going to end this war? We close with this. Point two this morning, we identify the lie, and we replace it with the truth. We identify the lie, and we replace it with the truth. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to be transformed. What do we have to be transformed from? Transformed from what? We have to be transformed from the patterns of this world. We have to be transformed from the lies that we have believed. Those lies that say, I can't change. Those lies that say, I am stuck exactly where I am and I'm never going to get out. Those lies that say, I'll never get out of the circumstance that I am in. I'll never leave this debt. I'll never leave this depression. I will never get out of these hard times. The lies that say, no one loves me. No one will ever love me. And if anyone ever knew me, who I was, not just who I pretend to be around them, there is no way that they would want to be around me. There's no way that they could love me. The lies that say I will never look like that. The lies that say I will never have what they have. We have to be transformed from this old identity that we took that was set in place by the lies of the enemy. And we have to set that right and set it according to God's truth. I think a lot of us, what we perceive is our reality. What we see in front of us, we just accept as true. So if the enemy sends a lie into our mind, and we leave it unchecked, we just think, no, that's true. That's who I am. That's who I'm always going to be. There was a famous magician. His name was Harry Houdini. And anytime Harry Houdini would walk into town, he would build a large gathering of people. And he would always end up at the jailhouse. And what he would do is he would ask the jailer to lock him inside of the cell so that he could break out and so that he could be timed and this would be this big promotion for whatever show he had planned for that town and so he went to jail after jail after jail being locked up locked in and broke out every single time until one jailer got word hey harry houdini's coming to town he just made us look like a bunch of fools down here so unless you want all your prisoners to think they can just get out whenever they want Maybe you should prepare for him. So he shows up in town. He does the same old thing. He starts gathering all of these people, and he ends up at the jail. And he asks the jailer to lock him up. What this jailer knew was something that Harry Houdini wasn't ready for. He put him in the cell, and instead of locking him in, he unlocked it. What did Harry Houdini do? He went to the lock, and he tried to unlock it. But every time he tried to unlock it, what did it actually do? It locked him in. His perception became his reality. He believed what he saw, or what he thought he saw. He thought it was locked, and so that was what he perceived to be true, and that was not true. And for a lot of us, what we have perceived about ourselves, what we have been told by someone else or by the enemy, we have taken as truth. And it's time to completely dismantle that lie. Take those perceptions take these realities and have them completely destroyed and then transformed into who God says you are. So how do we get transformed? Verse 1 says we need to submit our bodies. This means that we are living sacrifices. This means that we give ourselves fully over to the Lord. We submit our lives, our opinions, our thoughts, our feelings, our preferences to Him. We say it's not about us anymore. It is about you, and it's about your bigger picture that you have called me into. It looks like practical worship. This means in the home. This means at your work. This means at the store, every place you find yourself. It's not just about coming to a Sunday church that we have made not look like a cafeteria every Sunday and worshiping Jesus for a little bit. If that is the extent of it, that will never last. We have to submit our time outside of our gathering together and worship to Him. And the submission takes place internally. The submission takes place externally. We worship with our thoughts. We worship with our minds. We also worship with our voices, but we worship with our actions physically. And that is our practical worship and our submission of ourselves to God. We lay it over to Him. We love Him. We love other people. Verse 2 we go against the world. This means we swim against the current. This means that we believe God's truth over the world's lies. We set our mind on things that are above, as it says in Philippians 3.20. So what are God's truths? What are in opposition to the lies of the world? I am loved. And you should know that. You are loved. I am saved. I am saved by the work of Jesus on the cross, and that I do not deserve no matter all the sin, and all the messed up places in my life and the broken, dark, scary areas of my past, I have been saved from these areas and I am forgiven. I am made clean because he took the cross for me. He died for me so that I could be made in right relationship with God so that I could have a relationship with a loving Father. This means that I am made new. I'm not who I was. I am new. I am transformed in Jesus. This means that I am fully known. He knows everything I've ever done. He knows everything I'm doing. He knows everything I would ever do. And yet, knowing all of these things, Jesus still chose to die on the cross for us. This means that I am a son. This means that you are a son. This means that you are a daughter of a loving king and kind, generous father. This means that I have a purpose. This means that God has a plan for me. This means that I am not my own, but I am his this means that this season of hardships will not last forever. This means that there is a way out. And you know what? This means that I cannot do this on my own, but God can do it. And if I, if I am in him, I'm completely taken care of. So I need to rely on him. It continues in verse 2 that we need a renewal of our minds. It means we need to experience God's grace. I think a lot of us, we look at the forgiveness we receive from Jesus on the cross, and we don't fully take it in. We don't fully sit in it and experience it. We just kind of, all right, thank you, Jesus. I, I appreciate this get-out-of-hell-free card. Hopefully I can pass go, collect $200, and end up in heaven by the end of my life. And that's just not the design. We need to experience God's grace. We need to reflect back on what we've been saved from and realize we are completely forgiven from Him. We are restored in Jesus to become like Jesus. We've received the Holy Spirit, and we soak up God's Word. We soak up God's written will to us. I will say f- for you guys, if you are struggling at getting in the Bible, if you are struggling and reading God's Word, start simple. Read one chapter of a gospel a day. If you don't know what a gospel is, it's just the life, the ministry of Jesus. And if you are brand new to all of this, I would just start in the gospel of Mark. It's written cinematically, all right? It's written by Peter, and John Mark is the person that wrote it. Peter was a man of action, probably had ADD before they knew what ADD was, all right? He only hit the high notes, and so if you like cliff notes, this is the cliff notes version of the gospel. It is powerful, and I promise you that God will change your life when you spend time with him in his word. You need a little more advance? Read a chapter of Mark every day, then go to a chapter of Proverbs. Let's see, today is the 19th. So start with the 19th proverb and see what wisdom God speaks into your life. And know that it's okay that you don't know how to read the Bible. Know it's okay you don't know how to approach this big intimidating book that doesn't always make sense. But don't stay there. Don't stay at the beginning of summer as Ralph Macchio. We got to take down Cobra Kai. We're going to have to know God's word. We're going to have to spend time in it and train in it. We have to be transformed and God's word does that. And then finally, We close with this. Why are we transformed? We are transformed to discern. We are transformed to put every thought to the test. That means that we identify the lie as it comes in and we replace it with the truth. We replace it with God's word. We replace it with our worship to God, worship music about God, life and service and ministry to God. We replace the lie with the truth. We find that area of attack. We fortify it with the things of God, and we wage war. There's a war for our thoughts, and where our thoughts go, the rest of us will follow. So as a church, this week, as our thoughts start funneling in, let's stop. Let's pause. Let's identify the lie. Let's replace it with the truth of God. and Let's continue on in this thought war, having victory after victory because of Jesus and who he is. Let's pray. Jesus, we are helpless, we are captives without you. We are captives to the lies that the enemy has told us, whether that is through people that love us, or people that are supposed to love us, or people that don't love us at all. God, it comes from so many angles. I pray this week as a body of believers that follow you, Jesus, that you would help us to identify the lies that the enemy is throwing into our minds. And as these thoughts start funneling through our heads, Jesus, that you would help us to identify them and then to replace them with things that are true, that are of you. Father, help us to train up in these weapons of divine power. Help us to learn how to pray. Help us to learn how to read your word. Help us to learn how to walk in your spirit, and help us to have faith in you, no matter what the enemy throws at us. Jesus, we thank you that ultimately We are free from sin. We are free from death. We are free from the enemy because of your victory through your death on the cross. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And we thank you that now, when you rose three days later from the grave, you were victorious, and now we can walk in that victory in the thought war that we are being a part of every single day. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.